0: Uh, This is an opportunity. We're not moving away from worship. This is just an opportunity for us to hear from God. Isn't that awesome that he wants to speak to us? And so we're in the book of Mark. You can follow along with us on the Bible app under events there. Uh, You could kind of take notes or see the scripture there. Or you'll notice our ushers are coming around. If you need a Bible, just get their attention. They would love to give you a copy of that. If you don't own a Bible, would you please take that one with you? It's our gift to you. We want you to have a copy of God's Word. We are in Mark chapter 3. Mark is trying to answer for us two questions. Who is this guy, Jesus? And then, uh, based on that, what does it mean to be his disciple? Which is really important for us because... Uh, this, is our, this is our mission statement. Do you know our mission statement as a church? We exist. This is, uh, listen, listen. This is not something that we just stick on a website or throw it up on a wall and it doesn't really affect us. This drives us, okay? We are here to glorify God through the fulfillment of the, on, say it, the Great Commission. And the Great Commission is that we would make disciples. And so we're constantly asking the question, are we doing that? Are we really making disciples? disciples. The question is not, are we getting, a, 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 a getting bigger as a church? We're not reporting attendance numbers to heaven. We're not trying to raise more money than the other church down the street. We're not trying to be the church that has the most volunteers at the soup kitchen. Those are not necessarily bad things. Those are good things. But, but his commission to us is that we would make disciples. The people need to know that Jesus is our Savior and that he's Lord and he's worth following. So, so look around, just, just for a minute. Look, look around, like everybody around you. I know this is super awkward, but just look around. Do you see disciples here? you see disciples here? Like I think so. But maybe a better question that we need to ask is, how would we know? How, how do we know if we're the real deal? Uh, I have discovered the way to my wife's heart. These are uh, double stuff Oreos, okay? Uh, my wife loves these things. These babies have improved my marriage and gotten me out of a lot of hot water when I have said some stupid things or done some stupid things. I'm like, no, guys, I know that you go out and buy flowers. Flowers are nice, but, but, but this will really uh, uh, bring happiness into my home. She's going to pretend like she's mad that I actually bought these, but she's really excited. Uh, we, we love Double-stuffed Oreos. And not, not the flavored kinds that you get, like the, like the gingerbread and the peanut butter ones. And, and, and at Easter time, they come up with these uh, Peep ones. Have you ever had the Peep Oreos? They're actually pretty good. I kind of like them. But Carissa's not interested. She does not want these. She loves double-stuffed Oreos. Well, somebody at, at one point knew that my wife loved these. And so they decided they were going to get her some Oreos. And they bought her, um, they weren't exactly like these, but these are, these are knockoff. Oreos, okay? She's not interested. Don't taste the same. They're not the real deal. Now, I know if, like, if I handed these to you, if I ripped this open and, like, gave you one of these, you would would, would think, like, if I asked you, like, what is this? You would say it's a, it's an Oreo, but it's not. It's not. It's not the real deal. And so the question that we have, I'm serious, like, Krista would notice this. Even if you blindfolded her and, and like, shoved it in her mouth, she would know the difference because she's not interested in the knockoff. She wants the real deal. So the question is, can we uh, decipher what's the real deal and what's not? Make sense? All right, I'm going to give these. Hey, JT, uh, these are worthless calories in my house, so you can have those. We're, We're trying to decide what is the real deal Uh, What, if we're talking about disciples, and we're asking that question, are we making disciples? We need to be able to recognize what's a real disciple and what's not. It's it's this, not that. And the danger here is that it is possible for you to look the part. I mean, like, for all intents and purposes, you pick those up, they kind of look like the real deal, but they're not. It's possible for you to say the right things or, you know, come on Sundays and give some money and try to serve a little bit. And you might look like you're being a disciple, but you're not actually a real deal disciple. So the big idea of our text this morning here in Mark chapter 3 is this. Uh, Jesus is calling disciples who are the real deal. Jesus is calling disciples who are the real deal. I want to show this to you. Mark chapter 3, verse 7. I'm picking up here, verse 7. You follow along with me as I read. He says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. And when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd lest they crush him for he had healed many so that all who had disease pressed around him to touch him and whenever the unclean spirits saw him they fell down before him and they cried out you are the son of God and he strictly ordered them not to make him known and he went up on a mountain and he called to him those whom he desired and they came to him. And he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. And he appointed the 12, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. And then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. So um, I'm going to give you uh, two evidences from Mark 3 of disciples who are the real, de- real deal. Here's the first one. Note this. Uh, don't follow a crowd. Get on mission. Don't just follow a crowd. Get on mission. There's a crowd that's, that's gathering around Jesus and, and kind of showing his Popularity and this crowd. Just so you know, uh, verse seven and eight says that they're coming from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan, from around. Tyre and Sidon. So I decided that I was going to put a map up here on the screen, mostly because I wanted to use my laser pointer, but also because I wanted to be able to show you a little bit of where this is at. This is the Sea of Galilee, so they're coming from there, uh, from Galilee and, and, and Samaria and Judea. There's Jerusalem, Idumea over here, beyond the Jordan, way up here is Tyre. What I'm trying to say to you is Jesus is not just a local hero, people are coming from miles around and bringing some diversity too. Jesus is a Super popular guy right now. Why, why? Well, the text says that they heard all that he was doing. What's he doing? Verse 10. He was healing many people. So he's healing their diseases. He's casting out all these demons. And people are like, man, i got to see this for myself. So they want to they come and see Jesus and, and what he's up to. And it's so bad that verse 9 says Jesus tells his disciples, all right, guys, you got to go out and get a boat ready for me. Because Mark says they're about ready to crush him. I mean, this is a crazy Mob crowd. And I kind of tried to think of something that that you could relate to. And I guess the best thing that I could think of was if you tried to go to lunch at noon on Chick-fil-A Appreciation Day. You know what I'm saying? Is it disturbing how often Chick-fil-A makes it into my sermon illustrations? I have a problem. I admit that I'm working on it. But you, you kind of understand. If you've been there, you've been to Chick-fil-A, this is the day where everybody dresses like cows and you have no idea why this is happening until you realize that if you dress like a cow, you're getting free food. And it's insane, isn't it? And yet, at the same time, we're like, we're, we're jazzed about it. Like, this is going to be awesome. We're going to get free Chick-fil-A and we might make it out alive, but it's going to be great. That's the scene that is happening right here. People are pressing in, going nuts because Jesus is really popular. And if you're just watching this scene from a distance, it looks uh, pretty amazing, doesn't it? I mean, there's excitement. There's this rabid following of Jesus. There's this Jesus mania going on. I mean, we're only in Mark chapter 3, and his ministry is just taking off, and thousands of people want a piece of him. But it's not what you think it is. And we know that because Mark tells us, verse 11... Here are the unclean spirits and they're falling down before Jesus and they cry out, you are the son of God. Now, now, now remember Mark made this um, comment. He told us what he thinks about Jesus in chapter one, verse one. He said, Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. So far in the book, the demons are the only ones besides God the Father at his baptism who have recognized this and get this right. And yet, verse 12 says that he strictly Ordered them not to make him known. Why? Does anybody like wrestle with that? Like Jesus, why are you telling them to shut up? Like, I, like this is a this is an opportunity for all these people, the crowds, to hear someone from the supernatural realm declaring the truth about who you are. I mean, sure they're on the wrong team, but still, like, why, why, why do you tell them? not to do this. Well, um, we, we already saw some of this happen before, and we saw this last fall, but it's, it's because the crowds still don't know what that means. They don't know what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah, the Son of God. They're thinking that maybe he's going to be a, a political ruler and And he's just going to give them everything they want. And so even though they're they're chasing after him and they're wanting Jesus to work in their lives, they're still missing the significance of him, him being the Christ, the Son of God. And so Jesus doesn't embrace this fame and stardom because he didn't come to draw a crowd. Jesus is a man on a mission. And the mission is not just healing a bunch of people from their sicknesses, and, and popularity does not equal success. That's not why he came. And that's also not what he's looking for here in Fairfax. And can I be honest? Like, I want our church to grow. Like, I want to reach more people with the gospel This year. Our population is increasing, and so is the lostness and the darkness all around us. Will you help us with this? Will you are you willing to to go and and go and talk to people about Jesus and invite them to come? There's someone that you know that needs to be here. You can be involved in this. I want to see the the curtains. They they're moved back. I want to see the curtains keep moving back, but not not listen. Not because that'll make me and and us feel more legitimate as a church because we're getting bigger. And don't let a crowd deceive you into thinking that you're legit just because you're a part of it. Crowds can look like the real deal, but completely miss Jesus as Lord and Savior. Our mission is to make disciples. And so here's what he does. Verse 13. Um, verse 13 to 19. Uh, Mark tells the story about how Jesus called the 12 disciples. And, and I told you that Mark is, is uh, he's the shortest gospel. And a lot of times people think that that's, you know, like he's not as good of a storyteller as others. Actually, Mark is a masterful storyteller. And one of the literary devices that he uses is a technique that we call the, the sandwich technique. Okay? So here's what he does. He, he starts a story... We're going to see this again in just a minute. It happens a lot in, in this gospel, but he'll start a story, and then he takes a break that almost seems out of place, and then he picks back up with that story. So he's got a story in the middle of a story. It's a sandwich, right? So you just picture whatever favorite sandwich you imagine, and, and, and if we can just put the structure here, the, the bread of this sandwich is the crowd. Because verses 7 to 10 is telling us about this crowd that's like pressing in and, and it's so bad that they might even crush him. And then again we see the crowd come, verse 20. So, so the crowd shows up again so that they could not even eat. And so the story of the crowd sandwiches the middle right here. Uh, this, the, the meat of the story is this the contrast of real disciples. And So what, what he's trying to do is he's trying to help us understand the, the, the crowds, they don't get it. It's not that, but it's, it's this right here. He's going to show us what's the real deal. So verse 13, he says that, that Jesus, he goes up on a mountain, and he called to him those whom he desired. This is really important for us to remember. God chooses his disciples. You know that? You're only a disciple if Jesus has chosen you, has he chosen you? You say, how do I know? Like, I, I hope so. How do I know? Well, look at the evidence, verse, uh, verse 13. Look at what it says. After he called them, they came to him. So true disciples respond to Jesus and their hearts and their lives are changed. Can I ask you, do you want to follow Jesus? Do you want to follow Jesus? Because if you do, if you have that desire, then rest assured, the only reason you want that is because he gave you that desire. The the gospel tells us that, that he wanted you even when you did not want him. Isn't that crazy? This is important because the gospel tells us that it's really grace. He chose you. And we looked at this last year when we were in Ephesians chapter 1. I've got it for you on the screen. Ephesians chapter 1 says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, before he made the world, he chose you, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So he chose you before you were even around He chose you before you chose him, before you deserved it. He he wanted you even when you did not want him. That's grace. Isn't that amazing? So you don't become a disciple by what you do. But you will demonstrate that you are the real deal by what you do. Because what you do shows us who you really are. And so what do disciples do? Well, look at verse 14. He appointed these guys so that, purpose clause, here it is, that they might be with him and he might send them out. So the first thing, the, the, the first thing that he wants his disciples to do is to be with him. He, he picked these guys so that they could spend time with him. They could walk with him. They could talk with him. They could be with Jesus. So what he's saying is, don't follow a crowd. Get on mission with Jesus. And isn't that the great promise that's embedded in the Great Commission? When he tells us, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, check this out. I am with you always to the end of the age. So, so disciples, real disciples, are on mission with Jesus, enjoying his presence. So so just imagine, like, here you are, uh, first century, you're there, and and Jesus is doing all his miracles, and there's a crowd. Everybody's following him, and and you're, like, on the Sea of Galilee. You run into a fisherman here on the Sea of Galilee, and, and, and there's the crowd. They're hanging out with Jesus, and he's over here, and you strike up a conversation. In the midst of this conversation, he tells you, oh, yeah, I'm a disciple of Jesus. Well, then why aren't you with him? Because it's kind of absurd to call yourself a disciple of Jesus, but you don't spend any time with him. We fellowship with Jesus when we get into his word and, and when we spend time on our knees in prayer and when we come to gather together with his church that he died for. So don't say that you follow him and then you drop this book on the floor after Sunday and you don't think about it or even pick it up until next Sunday. I mean, that is if you come to the church on Sunday because we'll, we'll see I, I might have some other things that I have going on we'll see if I've got that as a priority do you want to be with Jesus do you spend time with him are you a disciple what, what does your calendar say about you What what is, your, what is your daily routine tell you you are we make time for and we do the things we want to do And disciples who are the real deal want to be with Jesus because we've discovered that he's better. We've discovered that he's better than uh, the snooze on my alarm or Facebook or a Netflix binge or watching the game or hitting the gym or weekend trips or my kids' social activities. It's all good things, but listen, listen. There's nothing more important and nothing comes before being with my Savior. This is what real disciples look like. So he said he, he appointed them that they might be with him and then that he might send them out. So, so Mark, obviously he's talking about these 12 disciples that, that become the apostles. But what he's doing for us is he's painting a picture of what discipleship looks like. So this isn't just for the 12 because he's commissioned you. He's commissioned me. He's commissioned us to Go. I'm sending you out. We want to be a sending church because God has called us to go to do what? Two things. First, to preach. That means to uh, proclaim. You're going to say something out loud. This is what Jesus was doing in in chapter 1 when he was proclaiming the gospel of God. What he's saying is I'm sending you out to make disciples, which requires you to open your mouth and tell people about Jesus. And, and, and then the second thing is, verse 15, that you might have authority to cast out demons. Now, before you get all, like, excited and you think that, like, we're, we're going out to have a whole bunch of exorcisms, like, Jesus, I get it, like, Jesus is fighting against the spiritual forces, and real disciples are too, okay? And I know that, that, that those, like, extraordinary uh, stories and examples of, of crazy demon possession, that, they exist, but I would tell you that they're kind of rare All right? It's there. But we don't see that very often. But we do wrestle in spiritual warfare, and the attacks of Satan are everywhere, every day, in very ordinary, but very extremely dangerous ways. As he's attacking our minds, he's attacking our hearts with lies and with temptation, which is why Paul tells us, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And then Jesus told us, when you're praying, say, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so what Jesus is sending us into, he's sending us into the lostness of Fairfax and the darkness of spiritual oppression. And can I just tell you, don't don't waste this moment. As disciples, we have a greater purpose in life. You don't have to waste your life. There's something far greater that you could be on mission with him, fighting against the darkness, wanting to see other people come to know him, to see his church build up. But don't be discouraged because Jesus has already told us he is building his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But don't say you're a disciple if you're not on mission. What he's saying is, like, get out there and preach I, you, you, maybe you're not all oh, supposed to get up here on Sunday morning, but proclaim. It means open your mouth and tell other people about Jesus. Your, your boss, your coworker, your neighbor, your friend, your brother, your sister. There are casualties of spiritual warfare all around us in our community. People falling to the deception and the temptations of the devil and this world. And if we stand by and say and do nothing, then how can we say we are disciples of Jesus? Because this is what he's called us to. That I think about those people in my life, and I want to see them come to know him. I'm on a mission to make more disciples. And we can't say, well, I go to a church that tries to fulfill the Great Commission. Because we are the church. And so if you are not helping us do this, then we can't really say that we're accomplishing the call of Christ, can we? The crowd, in contrast, they just show up to an event because they're looking to get something out of it. Don't, don't just come to church for what you get out of it. Like I realize that sometimes you may come because you, I don't know, you like music or you like the preaching when he's not yelling at us. And you like the relationships, and you like the kids' ministry and all of that. Like that's, And I get that. That's, I, I, I totally understand that. But eventually, you just have to know, we're probably going to offend you at some point. You're probably going to be disappointed. Um, you, you, you might get dissatisfied, and we're going to fail to live up to all of your expectations. We're going to fail to meet all of your needs. And listen, if you're just in it for you and what you get out of it, then, then you're probably going to end up leaving And maybe you stop going to church altogether or you start shopping around to see what other churches have to offer and if they're going to scratch the itch that you have and you go there because they have that thing that we didn't have and then you get disgruntled with that church and you move on to another. Listen, listen. Don't follow a consumer crowd. It's possible you might deceive yourself into thinking that you're a real disciple when you're not. And we are not interested in filling seats for an event full of people that have no interest in being sent. I I think if you notice these crowds here, they are gone by the end of the book of Mark. They're not there. It's because they're not on mission. And so real disciples stand out in stark contrast to the crowds as they get after it imagine, I've just, God's been impressing this on my heart, like, what what a strategic place that we live, and I know we're transient, and people are coming in and coming out, but what if people, while they were here, they were, their lives were being transformed by the glory of God, and they were being mobilized for the mission of God, And, and what will God do with our church if we get fired about every day, getting after accomplishing the mission that he's called us to? Will you leverage the opportunity and the position that you have for the gospel? You can share the gospel in places that I could never go. God has called all of us, and he's sending us out. And you just watch what he does with a church that's fired up about getting on mission. This is what we do, because this is what Christ has done in us. And this is how we know we're the real deal. Let me give you the second evidence of disciples who are the real deal. We see it in verse 21. He says, when his family heard it, so his family shows up, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem, they were saying, he is possessed By Beelzebul and by the prince of demons, he cast out the demons. And he called them to him and he said to them in parables, okay, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house plunder his goods, unless he first finds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemes they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying that he has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came. Standing outside, they sent to him and called him and a crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you and he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers and looking about at those who sat around him he said, here are my mother and my brothers for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister so we've got another story sandwich here. I don't know if you noticed that. Uh, Mark's giving us a, a, uh, another story that's kind of packed in uh, between another one. The, the bread in this case of, of our sandwich is, is the family. Jesus's family you see in verse 21. They go out because they want to stop him and they're then we pick up with them again. They're looking for him again. Verse thirty-two: Your mother and your brothers—they're outside seeking you. So this story about his family is interrupted in the middle of the sand, which Is what the scribes—they're uh, dismissing Jesus as being uh, possessed by Satan. That's going to help us understand why Mark. What, what Mark's point is? Well, he's trying to drive home what the family thinks. Verse twenty-one here: When his family heard it, they go out to seize him. So. Uh, just picture it again. Jesus is being mobbed. He hasn't even had a chance to go off for drive through or order pizza. And, and, and so his family, they show up to grab him and try to rescue him. And they're saying, what are they saying? He is out of his mind. Okay, they think he's crazy. They think he's, he's lost it. Like, like, and, and so really what they're trying to do is they're trying to stop him. And we don't, it might be because they're embarrassed by him, but they're like, okay, like, enough's enough. I can't take this anymore. Somebody's got to, he is acting like a lunatic. He's calling himself God. He's trying to forgive sins. He's picking off the Pharisees. He's hanging out with sinners. He's casting out these demons. He's excite, inciting this mob. And now he can't even take care of himself. Somebody's got to stop this. And, and, and uh, you, I mean, if you think about it as uh, if you're a brother, nobody else in the history of the world has ever had to deal with a family member that's the son of God like this, uh, but they obviously don't believe in him, do they? I think it's safe to say that Mary, his mother, does. But they're not listening to mom on this one. They don't believe that he is who he says he is. I mean, you would think that they picked up on that, that he's the perfect child, literally. And What's really unsettling about this is that these are the people that are closest to Jesus. Like, I get that, like, his enemies don't believe in him. But these guys, like, shouldn't they be disciples? They don't believe it. And then Mark tells us what the scribes think. This is the middle of it. He says the scribes are coming out and saying, he's possessed by Beelzebul. Well, we don't really know what that means except that that it kind of refers to Satan. We know that because Jesus says it. So so Jesus understands what they're saying. They they stop asking him accusatory questions like they were doing in in chapter 2. Now they're on this all-out smear campaign, okay? These are supposed to be the spiritual experts, and their diagnosis is he's satanic. And and so I love how Jesus responds to them. He's just kind of like, okay, let's just go over some basic logic, shall we? That doesn't make any sense, all right? How can Satan cast out Satan. If a kingdom's divided against itself, it will not stand. That's kind of like saying that Tom Brady was actually playing for the Tennessee Titans last night, not the New England Patriots. Like, I know he was in a Patriots jersey, and he was scoring touchdowns against the Titans. He was scoring touchdowns against the Titans. We know that. But really, he was against Like That's stupid, okay? That's a really stupid argument is what Jesus is saying. But he's also telling them that it's a really serious accusation. And it's just not true. And the evidence doesn't match. I mean, think about that. If Satan was attacking his own kingdom, then we would expect the kingdom to be uh, crumbling, and, and it would look weak, and it would look defeated. And yet, what, what were the people bringing to Jesus? What were the crowds bringing to Jesus before? They're bringing all these people that are possessed by demons, right? All of these people that are under the power of demonic forces. So if I could say it this way, Satan's kingdom looks really strong. So I love what Jesus does, verse 27. He says, no one can enter a strong man's house unless he first binds the strong man. The strong man that Jesus is referring to is Satan. And what Jesus is telling us is that no one is gonna be able to go and kick in Satan's door unless, unless he's stronger than Satan. And guess what Jesus has been doing? Uh, look, you, you see uh, Satan's minions here. They, like, they don't even stand a chance, do they? But we saw this in verse 11 that, that whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him. Satan's kingdom doesn't stand a chance against this guy. And what's interesting is that, that Mark is actually painting uh, the picture of his family trying to seize him in verse 21. But Jesus cannot be bound, Jesus will not be bound. He came to invade the darkness and to bind and to conquer Satan. He's the one we've been waiting for all the way back since Genesis chapter three when God told us, he promised us that there was going to be the seed of the woman. The offspring of the woman was going to come and crush the head of Satan. We've been waiting for this and here he is. Here's the one who has the power to defeat the devil and yet they're saying that he's possessed by the devil? That, Jesus says, is blasphemy against the spirit there's that freaky little verse verse 29 you see that and i know you've probably heard this before and it's uh, caused you some concern whoever blasphemes against the holy spirit never has forgiveness but is guilty of an eternal sin show of hands how many of you would like to avoid committing that one anybody okay yeah what is it how do i like i like i really want to not do that um Well, verse 30 is the clue as to what that sin is. They were saying that he has an unclean spirit. Here's how this works. Jesus was doing the work of God to conquer evil and to bring salvation. But they are calling that good evil. They're calling light darkness. They're looking at the work of God and saying it's evil and rejecting Jesus as satanic if I could just make it really simple real disciples don't do that it's not that but it's this verse 31 now his family shows up again and someone comes up and relays the message to Jesus and says hey your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you and you probably need to take this we'll wait we 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 understand how God, I mean cuz you know you're supposed to prioritize those who are closest to you right i mean we get, we all get that but then Jesus asked them who are my mother and my brothers? You can imagine some people are these confused whispering going on, like, is this a trick question? Is he adopted? Did we miss that? But here's what he's really asking. Who are the real deal disciples? And the text says that he looks around at those who are seated around him. He says, here they are. You find them with Jesus. It says, whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister, my mother. It's those who respond to the Lord in faith and obedience. But but because Mark made this a sandwich story that kind of serves as a warning for those of us who think that we're closest to Jesus... Don't assume you're a disciple by association. Don't miss who he is and reject him. He's the only one who has the power to conquer evil and to save you. And maybe, maybe you think that you've, uh, you're a true Christian because you kind of grew up around this. I can't tell you how many people have said to me, well, I've always, you know, I've always been a believer. That's not true. That's not what the gospel tells us. Oh, you know, my Christian, like I'm a Christian. Like I grew up going to church. My parents were, I'm a pretty good person. I hang out at church. It's not who you know. It's not where you're from. And it's not what you do. It's what he's done for you. And so he says whoever does the will of God, the will of God is that you would believe in Jesus. Jesus is calling disciples who put their faith in him and who demonstrate that they really are the real deal by what they do. What we do matters because it reveals who we are and it brings glory to our God and Savior, Amen. Father, I pray that you would, this year as we're pursuing you, I'm praying that you are really going to help us accomplish this great commission that you have called us to We want to be faithful to make disciples. Lord, I I pray that there's no one here that has been deceived by following a crowd that would make them think that they are a true believer if they're not. It's not about whether we grew up in church or um, whether, whether we had parents that believed or whether we believe in God, even the demons believe in shudder. Lord, it's what we do with your son. Will we respond to the call of Jesus and believe him? And will we get after the mission? Lord, there are other people here in Fairfax that don't know you. I pray that the gospel would motivate our hearts. What you have done in us would be so contagious. We can't hold it in. I'd be willing to open my mouth this week and tell somebody. Lord, if if we're looking at the evidence, maybe somebody here is saying, okay, if that's what a true disciple is, then I'm not really sure that I am a disciple. Lord, I pray that you'd be working in their hearts right now. And if that is you, can I just tell you, you can trust Christ today. He says today is the day of salvation. It's not what you've done. You can't earn it. You are a sinner. You deserve death. But God, he sent his son Jesus to die for you in your place so that you could be forgiven and you could live with him for all eternity. Isn't that good news? If that's you and you've never done that, then you can do that even today. I'm going to pray for you. Maybe this is your opportunity to just tell God that you believe that you are a sinner and you believe that he died for you and you want him to save you from your sins. Just ask him, and he will. Father, I'm praying that if there's any here that need to do that today, they would take care of that business with you. Lord, we want to see more disciples made for your honor and for your glory. Maybe today that's going to happen. Lord, I pray that this week you would stir our hearts, get us fired up about being on mission. Thank you that you allow us to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And we're praying that you will get the glory because of it. We believe that you are better than anything that this world has to offer. We want to follow you as disciples. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.